Today's scripture reading is from uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And so if you haven't opened your Bibles or Bible apps yet, please do so to the book of Lamentations. You don't hear that said very often. And so if you don't know where the book of Lamentations is, it's nestled between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so if you kind of go to the middle of the Bible and you hit the Psalms, keep, keep going. You'll go past Isaiah, Jeremiah, then you'll hit Lamentations. If you see Ezekiel, Daniel, Jonah, and all those other names you don't recognize, you've gone too far. And so it's a small book kind of nestled between uh, two prophetic books. And we're going to be looking at some verses from chapter three. And I don't know about you, but I am not good at waiting. I am not good at waiting at all. Like I was that kid who would try to pick the corners off his presents and try to see what he got like a couple weeks before Christmas Day. And really, it's just gone downhill from there. Like if I have to wait two minutes for my Jimmy John sandwich, I'm like freaky fast my foot. Like I'm getting mad at those people. Or, or, or here's, here's the thing that I, I probably hate waiting for more than anything, traffic. Like, I hate traffic. Now, in Bellevue, you don't run into a lot of traffic, but I think I have a little bit of PTSD from living in Washington, D.C. I just, I hate traffic. And so, you know how there's that construction going on the bridge on 75 that goes over 370? Well, we live off 370, and so when I drive from home to church office, I always have to go through that mess. And there are some days where I'm coming home from the office and I'll turn on a 370 from Betts and the traffic is all the way backed up and I'm like, nope. And so I'll get on Fort Crook and go all the way around to Cornhusker and come all the way around. And you know what? It probably takes longer, but I hate sitting in traffic so much that I would rather take the long way around than just sit there and feel stuck. <laughs> I hate it. Well, here, here, here is some, for those of you that are, are psychiatrists or counselors in the room, Here, here's another dynamic, and, and you can maybe diagnose me with this one. I hate showing up places early because I hate waiting for people. Like, like there's this anxiety that starts to get, just kind of start to rumble in my soul. I don't know where that comes from. I really don't. Could use your help. So, so I try to like show up to places like either right on time, and I'm sorry if, you, if you've ever met with me and have been a few minutes late. Look, that's just my anxiety. I'm being honest, like I really struggle showing up early and waiting for people. But here's the other thing, friends, like, like you need to be empathetic with me. You need, to, you need to sympathize with my struggles because our culture just throws gas on the fire. Like our culture does everything possible to make it so we don't have to wait. Like we live in an anti-waiting culture. And so for people like me, man, it just fuels my pathology, <laughs> I mean, we want what we want when we want it, and we always want it right now. Like Ian pointed out this morning, those supercomputers we carry in our pockets, like they're full of apps meant to reduce the amount of time we have to wait, or if we do have to wait, something to entertain us. Have you noticed this thing where you not, now you pull up the gas stations and there's like 
a, a screen with like showing commercials at certain gas stations now. Like we can't even wait to pump our gas. We have to be entertained while we pump our gas. That's how bad it has gotten. And so I, I'm asking you to be empath- to empathetic with me, be empathetic with me, because look, my pathology, my struggle with the waiting, there's no hope for me. Surrounded by a culture that just feeds it. But, but in all seriousness, like we can laugh about the silly ways we don't like to wait. We can be amused by the, the technology that we have that reduces the amount of time we have to wait or entertain us while we are waiting. But let's just be honest, waiting is hard. It's difficult. As much as we can laugh about the, the, the things that we wait for or don't wait for, there's a profound truth in this notion of waiting. Waiting carries significant meaning. Waiting is nothing short of a spiritual discipline. As Lamentations 3.26 tells us, it is good to wait for the Lord. Waiting is good. Can you believe that? Why is it good? What makes waiting good? Well, waiting is an incredible teacher. Like waiting will take us to school in ways that few things can. Waiting will teach us and shape us in gospel truths. Waiting will mature us as disciples of Jesus. Waiting will deepen our faith and our hope and our obedience and our trust and our worship. Waiting has profound effect on us. Oh, waiting is good, but waiting may be the most neglected spiritual discipline. This is why Advent is such a beautiful and powerful time of year. Because it is during Advent that we can calibrate our hearts or reorient our hearts to the fact that we're waiting. As Thomas reminded us this morning, we are waiting for Christ to return and we look back at the first coming of Christ and as we see the faithfulness of God in the past, we have much hope and much confidence that God will be faithful and Christ will return. But we're waiting. We're in a series, we're in a, a period of waiting and waiting has much to teach us. And so for the four Sundays of Advent, we're gonna allow waiting to take us to school. The title of my message this morning is the school of waiting. And what I want to do this morning is I want to reflect on why it is good to wait for the Lord by looking at four things that waiting teaches us from Lamentations 3, 19 through 26. And so here's the first thing that waiting teaches us. Waiting teaches us to acknowledge our pain. The writer of Lamentations says in 3, 19 through 20, remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Now, I want to set some context here. Uh, the book of Lamentations is made up of five poems of lament, hence the term Lamentations. That's where the name of the book comes from. And the context for the book of Lamentations is the city of Jerusalem has just fallen to the Babylonians and the people of God were being taken into exile. And all of this was God's judgment on his people. You see, the, the wickedness and the sin of Israel, particularly in the southern king, kingdom of Judah, had reached such a destructive fever pitch that God brought the crushing judgment of the Babylonians on them and their city and their temple were destroyed and the people were brought out of the promised land. Their beloved nation, their beloved way of life, their culture, 
all reduced to ashes. And the author of Lamentations, which is commonly believed to be the prophet Jeremiah, he is lamenting, he, he's mourning, he's crying out over the pain of loss. And if you read through the book of Lamentations, it uses vivid and very graphic language. Like if you're feeling particularly emo on a day, like I'd encourage you to read the book of Lamentations. It is as raw and as real as it gets. But here we find in chapter three, this passage celebrating waiting on the Lord. And notice where the author starts. Remember my pain. Remember my affliction. Remember the loss of everything I have and know. The wormwood and the poison, that, that's a, a reference to two plants that were intensely bitter to the taste. Remember the bitterness of my life. In this passage on waiting, the author starts with remembering his pain. Waiting teaches us to acknowledge our pain. Not deny it, not bury it, not numb it. Acknowledge it, name it, be honest about it. Face it, say it's real, take it seriously. Now, you may think, okay, I see what verse 19 says, but I can also read what verse 20 says. And he said that he remembered it to such an extent that he became depressed. Uh, no, thank you. Okay, I'm with you. I get it. However, therein lies the problem. We would rather forget our pain than acknowledge it. We'd rather forget it than remember it that it is real. And look, don't, don't misunderstand what he is saying by the word depressed. He's not talking about sort of the, the clinical disordered depression. He is talking about the depression that comes on due to a deep and abiding and persistent pain. The pain of loss, the pain of circumstances outside your control blowing up your world, the pain of sin and its destructive power, the pain of loss and death, that kind of pain that cuts deep to the soul, that can feel overwhelming, that can feel like it consumes you and is going to swallow you whole, that's the kind of pain that he's talking about. And we'd just as soon forget that kind of pain too. We'd just as soon move on, forget it, not acknowledge it. And our culture tells us, go ahead. Like, right, our culture tells us, it bombards us with message after message after messages. You should never have to feel pain. You should never have to feel sad, at least, at least not for very long. And then what does it do? It floods us, it feeds us with entertainment and pleasure and food and drink and drugs and sex and shopping, all meant so we can numb our pain. So we don't have to deal with it. Couple that with our sinful and selfish hearts and we are hell-bent on forgetting our pain. Hell-bent on denying it and burying it and numbing it. We will go so far as to, to tell ourselves there's actually something wrong with us if we feel sad. Why is that? Why are we so quick to forget our pain? 
Ever ask yourself that question? Why so quick? Let's start with the obvious. Pain hurts. And we don't like to hurt. We don't like to feel uncomfortable. That's normal. That's natural. That's okay. We also too often buy the lie of our culture. Like we'll listen to our culture that tells us you don't have to feel pain or have to feel sad. We're like, okay, I'll take that. And so we'll listen. We fall for the lie. We fall for the trap. But there's something deeper. Something deeper. Our pain reminds us, us and our world are impossibly broken. Sin and brokenness in the world, sin and brokenness in the people that are close to you, sin and brokenness in yourself. Disease, sickness, death, bodies that don't operate the way we want them to. Failure, unmet expectations, shattered dreams, like whatever the pain may be, whether it's the pain that's been inflicted on us by other people or the pain we inflict on other people, over and over again, our pain tells us, sometimes even screams at us, the world is broken, you're broken, and you can't fix it. And we hate that. We hate it. We hate feeling out of control. We hate acknowledging the fact that we cannot fix what's broken in us and in ourselves. We hate feeling weak and helpless. We hate acknowledging we're part of the problem. And so we will do everything in our power to forget, to deny. Some of us, we, we will run to pleasure, to numb, some of us will detach and will bury. Some of us will try to achieve to make ourselves feel better. Some of us will try to control our lives down to the very second, and so we never have to feel out of control and feel the pain of being out of control. How's that working for you? If you were to eavesdrop on conversations between Mindy and I over the past maybe six weeks. One, you'd be really entertained about the random stuff we talk about. But two, you would hear this topic come up quite a bit. See, I, I have to ask myself this question. I need to ask myself this question. How's that working for you, Chris? How's that detaching and burying your pain working for you? Not well. Not well at all. <laughs> lots of angst and anger. Lots of pulling away from my wife and pulling away from relationships. Not a lot of joy and faith in Jesus. But like friends, I'm standing up here this morning as your pastor, not saying, hey, you all need to get it together and repent. I'm saying this, I need to repent, who's with me? Like, like I'm, I'm being honest here. Like this, this is, I am preaching to myself more than anybody this morning. Like the Lord has been lighting me up significantly late, lately. And so I'm just like, I'm in this place of, I need to repent. And as one who needs to repent, I'm saying, who wants to, who wants to do this? who wants to go on this journey, who's struggling with waiting, who's burying their pain, who doesn't want to acknowledge their pain, who needs to repent of that, who wants to turn to the Lord. Because here's the good news for us, friends. Here's the good news. When we acknowledge our pain, when we're honest about it, when we're real about it, that's when we're ready to receive the best news in the world. 
Like when we acknowledge we can't fix what's broken in us and broken in our world, we'll turn to who can actually fix what's broken. This is the good news that God's word gives us. His word and his spirit cut through the lies when we're ready to humble ourselves and acknowledge our pain. Because the second thing that waiting teaches us is it teaches us to remember God's faithfulness. In the midst of acknowledging his pain, the author of Lamentations writes this, yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. As we saw repeatedly this fall in the book of Exodus, God's people regularly found themselves overwhelmed by their pain and hardship and trial and sin and evil and oppression and threats. And over and over again, what was the truth they were called back to? God is faithful. God is faithful. And in that, they had tremendous hope. They always had hope. No matter how dark it got in their lives, they had hope. But how did they experience the goodness of this hope? How did they live in the joy of that hope? Was it when they were angsty and angry and complaining and despairing? No. It's when they waited on the Lord. It's when they stopped trying to control their lives and stopped trying to control their circumstances and they waited on God and they remembered God is faithful. When they remembered, when they waited, there was joy. There was hope, even when it was dark. And this is the story repeatedly in the history of Israel, over and over and over again. God showed himself to be faithful, even when they fell into sin, even when they were at the lowest of the low, as in they are in the book of Lamentations. They always had hope because God was faithful. And when they dropped the angst, when they dropped the trying to control, when they dropped trying the sin and rebellion, when they dropped trying to just pursue pleasure and they waited on God and they remembered his faithfulness, it transformed them. It gave them hope. It gave them joy. It gave them strength. Waiting teaches us to remember the Lord. And friends, We've put this point on repeat this fall, and it bears saying again, what is the greatest power in our minds? Like, what is the thing that is most real to us? What power do we hold to and do we believe actually controls our lives, actually has the final word, actually determines the trajectory of your life? Is it your hardship and pain and sin and trial and failure, or is it the grace and power and love and mercy of God? Friends, here's something that we need to be very clear on. Acknowledging our pain doesn't mean wallowing in our pain. No, we acknowledge our pain so that we run to and remember the faithfulness of God. Acknowledging our pain brings us to the end of ourselves so that we can run to God, so we can run to his faithfulness, so that we can see his faithfulness. And friends, when we remember the faithfulness of God, what is it that we're remembering? What are we doing this Advent season? We're remembering the faithfulness of God. We're looking back and we're seeing that God in his eternal abundance, forever faithfulness, sent Jesus Christ into this world. 
in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our pain and our sin, Jesus lovingly stepped into all of that and he loved us and he fought for us and he ultimately laid down his life on a cross to take the punishment that you and I deserve the sin that has separated us from God, Jesus took all of that punishment on himself so that we could be forgiven of all of our guilt, washed clean of all of our shame, and the power of sin broken in our lives so that we could walk in the newness of life. Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on us and his spirit is at work renewing us and making us like Jesus so we can walk in righteousness and goodness and truth and beauty. This is the faithfulness of God in our lives. This is the faithfulness that is greater than any of your sin, any of your hardship, any of your pain, any of your trial, any of your failure, greater than any unmet expectation or shattered dream. The faithfulness of God reigns supreme in your life if you are in Christ. This is what we remember this Advent season. This is what waiting waiting teaches us to do, to remember the faithfulness of God And so friends, listen, when we numb our pain, when we check out or we're wrapped around the axle in our angst and our busyness and our trying to control, we're not gonna take a posture of waiting. And if we don't take a posture of waiting, here's what we're not gonna do. We're not gonna remember. We're gonna forget the faithfulness of God. Is it it any wonder that we live with so little joy and little hope, and little peace, and little faith, and take little risk. Because friends, we're preoccupied with self rather than remembering the grace of God. Our minds are full of all that is wrong and is broken, and yes, those things are real, but we're not taking time to remember the thing that is most true is God's faithfulness in Christ. Friends, what would it mean for us to not be preoccupied with self, but to feast on and meditate on and be saturated in God's faithfulness to us? That's what waiting teaches us to do. But waiting isn't just an exercise in remembering the past. Waiting also teaches us to seek the Lord today. Verse 25 says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the person who seeks him. Friends, God's faithfulness is not just something that happened in the past. Like we look to the past to be reminded of God's faithfulness so that we have confidence that God's faithfulness applies to us today. What does the Apostle Paul say in Romans 8, 32? That he who gave his son, will he not graciously give us all things? Paul's making this greater to lesser argument. He is saying, would not the God who didn't even spare his own son, who was so faithful to give you the most prized possession of his heart, his son, if he would go that far for you in the past, will he not still be faithful to you today? You better believe he will. If he did that, he's going to be faithful today and he's going to be faithful tomorrow. And in light of that faithfulness today, we seek him. We depend upon him. 
So, so what does it mean to seek the Lord as an act of waiting? Well, well, let's just go back for a second to the difficulty of waiting. Like waiting is hard because when we're waiting, we typically are waiting for something we want, right? There's something that we're after, something we desire, whether good or bad. And we're not getting it, so it's painful, it's difficult. Now, now when it's obvious the thing that we want is bad, it's a little easier to call this out. But, but let's just take a moment and consider what happens when we're waiting for something that's good? There's a pain that comes when we don't experience a good thing that we desire and we hope for. And I'm guessing that for most of you, if not all of you, that's your reality in some way. Like there's a good that you are longing for, you're hoping for, you're waiting for, and it's not happening, and it hurts. Maybe it's the, the, the pain of waiting for your financial circumstances to, to get to a place where there's actually security. Maybe you're waiting for a new job or a better job or some, some change in your vocation. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse, waiting for that one that you've been waiting for since you were a little boy or a little girl and you dreamed about. Maybe you're waiting for friendship. You're waiting because you deeply desire a close, connected friend and you're waiting for that to happen and it's not happening and that hurts. Maybe you're waiting to have a kid. Maybe you've been waiting for a long time. Sorry. And that good desire to have a family, to experience that blessing, it hasn't happened. Maybe you're waiting for a close friend or family member to turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. Maybe you're waiting for that child to, to turn from that destructive pattern in their life and you're wanting to see them follow the Lord. Maybe you're waiting for that reconciliation and that close relationship or in your marriage. You're waiting for something good and it's not happening. Friends, it is in that moment, in that pain, this is where we learn to seek the Lord and wait on him. And how does that happen? Well, look what, look what the author of Lamentations says in verse 24. I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. Look, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of crying out for something good, like he wanted the restoration of Israel, that this was a good thing that he was after. He says, the Lord is my portion. Like the Lord is my sustenance. The Lord is the thing that I most cherish. He is the thing that satisfies. He's the, the, the only possession that I have. And that satisfies. That brings comfort. That brings hope. Here, here is what it means to seek the Lord in our waiting today. It means when that pain of that unmet good comes crashing in and it hurts, it means I'm going to run to the Lord and he's going to be my portion. He's going to be my strength. He's going to be my comfort. He's going to be my joy. This doesn't mean that I stop longing for that good. It doesn't mean that it still doesn't hurt in some way. But rather than numbing the pain, rather than burying the pain, rather than trying to busy myself to distract myself, or rather than trying to achieve to make myself feel better, I go to Jesus. 
and find comfort in him. Find hope in him. Trust in his faithfulness today. And realize in the midst of that, he's going to meet me with his grace and his love and his mercy. That I'm going to actually experience the presence of the Lord and his faithfulness in my life. It's not a cheap mental trick. It's not psyching yourself out. It's not some shallow emotional experience. No, it's being met by the very presence of God. Jesus meeting you in your pain. He becomes your portion. If you're like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's like. Could it be that you're not seeking him in your pain? Could it be that instead of running to Jesus to be your portion in the midst of your pain, you're running to other things? Friends, one of the things that I have, um, I've been convicted about recently is, is if, we're, if we're going to experience the Lord as our portion in the big things, that we really need to learn what it means for the Lord to be our portion in the small things too. Like I told you earlier, I confess, I, I struggle with waiting. Here's what it looks like for me to wait. If you were to observe me, Look familiar? <laughs> and we can laugh. We can laugh about it. But look, what's exposed in that moment? I'm full of angst. I'm full of anger. I'm impatient. I don't want to wait. And the same angst and anger that comes out in those little moments is the exact same thing that comes out in the big moments. And the thing that comes out in the big moments comes out in the little moments. It's all connected. It's all the same. And we're fooling ourselves if we believe that these little moments don't matter. Like that they're not moments where actually we can learn what it means to wait on the Lord and seek him as our portion. Mindy recently read to me this prayer from this book called Every Moment Holy. And I'd highly encourage you guys to pick this up. This is a beautiful little book of liturgies, of prayers for every sort of like random kind of experience that you can have in life. And there's a prayer in here. It's called the Liturgy for Waiting in Line. Here, here's what this prayer is. As my life is lived in anticipation of the redemption of all things, so let my slow movement in this line be to my heart a living parable and a teachable moment. Do not waste even my petty irritations, O Lord. Use them to expose my sin and selfishness and to reshape my vision and my desire into better, holier things. Decrease my unrighteous impatience directed at my circumstances and people. Increase instead my righteous longing for the moment of your return when all creation will be liberated 
from every futility in which it now languishes. Be present in my waiting, O Lord, that I might also be present in it as a Christ bearer to those before and behind me who also wait. As I am a vessel, let me not be like a sodden paper cup full of steaming frustration, carelessly sloshing unpleasantness on those around me. Rather, let me be like a communion chalice, reflecting the silver beauty of your light, brimming with an offered grace. Amen. Pray that prayer would change how you wait. <laughs> but what a picture of what it would mean to seek the Lord even in the little moments. And it's in those little moments that we learn to seek him in the bigger moments. Friends, the Lord is our portion. Or friends, when, when we run to the Lord, it is, it is good to seek the Lord. And he is our portion. And when we do, he lavishes us with his grace and his mercy and his love and his comfort and his very presence. And would the, the, the posture of our hearts be that of waiting and seeking the Lord rather than being angsty and angry and restless in our waiting? What would it mean if we, we took a posture of waiting that looked more like this? More, more dependent on his word. That then our moments when, when we are feeling overwhelmed by our pain, we would go to his word for comfort. And in going to him, rather than pacing about angrily and stomping our feet and looking at our watch and pulling on our phone and putting in headphones, what if we did this? What would it mean if we just quieted ourselves before the Lord? His word, his spirit, his presence. Like, I'm not saying kneel down in the middle of a line, but you can certainly quiet yourself before the Lord. You, you certainly can orient yourself even in those moments. You can certainly pray prayers even in those moments. Lord, be my portion. Lord, be my comforts. Lord, be my strength. Lord, help me. I'm angsty. I'm restless. I'm hurting. Would the posture of our lives, the posture of our hearts be those who wait and seek the Lord? Finally, waiting teaches us this last thing. It teaches us to cry, come Lord Jesus. Like all throughout the book of Lamentations, the author is crying out. There's this theme that just permeates the entire book. And it ultimately sort of lands at this Lord Fix what only you can fix and fix it forever. Like he's not asking for a temporary fix. He's not asking for a small fix. He's asking for a cosmic fix. Fix what is broken in the world and in me and fix it forever. And then when we come to the end of the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And here's the response. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, and fix only what you can fix and fix it forever. Would you come and fix what is broken in the world and fix what's broken in me and fix it forever? And so, friends, the, the cry of our hearts to say, come, Lord Jesus, to say, Lord, come and fix this. 
Come and save, come and rescue. And so is this the cry of our hearts? Is this the cry of your heart? Is this the cry of my heart? When we cry this out, when we cry, come Lord Jesus, we're we're acknowledging our need and our helplessness. We're acknowledging we need Jesus to fix what is broken and that only he can do it. When we cry, come Lord Jesus, we, we stop trying to control our lives and we start waiting on the Lord in hopeful dependence. I love how Richard Rohr puts it. He says this, come Lord Jesus, the Advent mantra means that all of Christian history has to live out of a kind of deliberate emptiness, a kind of chosen non-fulfillment. Perfect fullness is always to come, and we do not need to demand it now. This keeps the field of life wide open, and especially open to grace and to a future created by God rather than ourselves. When we demand satisfaction of one another, when we demand any completion to history on our terms, when we demand that our anxiety or any dissatisfaction be taken away, saying, as it were, why weren't you this for me? Why didn't life do this, that for me? We are refusing to say, come Lord Jesus. We are refusing to hold out for the full picture that is always given by God. Rather than trying to control rather than making demands, rather than numbing, rather than distracting, rather than burying, we cry out, come Lord Jesus. This is what waiting teaches us. By teaching us to acknowledge our pain, to remember God's faithfulness and seek the Lord today, waiting ultimately teaches us to cry, come Lord Jesus. And here's what happens. The more we acknowledge our pain, the more we realize just how broken our world is and how broken we are, the more we see our need and the more we will cry, come Lord Jesus. The more we remember God's faithfulness that he sent Jesus to rescue and redeem us and that he is faithful today, the more that we are going to have hope that Jesus is going to return and he's going to put an end to all evil. He's going to renew and restore all creation and he's going to give us resurrected bodies free of corruption and death. And the more we put our hope in that, the more we cry, come Lord Jesus. And the more we cry, come Lord Jesus, the more hope we have. And when we seek the Lord, when we seek him today, the more we are gonna experience his comfort and his grace and his mercy and his love. And the more that we do that, the more we are gonna long to be with him. The more we are gonna wanna be in his presence and the more we wanna be in his presence, the more we are going to cry, come Lord Jesus. And so this is the great Advent mantra, the great Advent cry. Christ is come, Christ is coming, come Lord Jesus. And so in this season of Advent, friends, let's let waiting take us to school. Let's learn what it means to acknowledge our pain. Let's learn what it means to remember the faithfulness of God. Let's seek the Lord in our waiting today And let the cry of our heart be, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.